everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with Utah Jazz General Manager Justin Zanuck. Jazz have won 20 of their last 21, including 18 of those by double digits. And the Jazz play the Clippers Friday night in our second game of the doubleheader on ESPN. And Justin, welcome in. You're in L.A. for the two-game road trip. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Woj. Appreciate it. Of course. I would ask you, Justin, let me start here. As a GM, your job is to just lay awake at night worried worried about stuff, right? What could go wrong? What's going wrong? Where do we need to improve? Best record in the league right now, obviously, at 24-5. and five. What are you worried about? What's keeping you? You must have sleep just as sleep as soundly as you've ever slept. I use the quote, you know, sleeping like a baby. So I wake up every two hours and are thinking about something, especially, I mean, certainly the performance on the, on the court has been excellent. Our players have really, you know, gelled. It's a credit to those guys with their collective commitment that they came in with and, and coach and Q who's done just an unbelievable job designing, uh, putting these guys in a position to really excel. And I think they're really enjoying it. And from last year, uh, we've had a lot of continuity, um, but the things I I stay up at night that we as a staff stay up at night is, you know, certainly we're in the middle of a pandemic and keeping everyone healthy, let alone with, you know, a compressed schedule um, while maybe some reduced travel, the, the recovery and, you know, making sure guys stay healthy are important so that they can continue to perform on the court. That's the main thing. And then any number of things, whether it's travel or testing or communication with the league, it, it it's almost on an hour-by-hour hour basis of stuff that we want to just make sure to keep the ship sailing in the right direction. Justin, you thought you had a very good team this year, and you you know, you know didn't have Bogdanovich in the bubble in the playoffs, and Mike Connolly had to come and go for the birth of a child in the bubble, and so there was some certainly some disruption there. Really, the only market change in your team – was bringing back Derek Favors in the offseason, which was sort of like having a new player, but a new player who had been there for multiple years and and fit right back in. Could you have imagined this start to the season and not just 24 and 5, but how you're playing, how you've shot, you're shooting the three ball at a historical rate, any way you look at it, and then defending um, at an extremely high level, which people have come to expect uh, with with your team, with Quinn Snyder. Did, would you have imagined this? Well, Woj, you're always hopeful that when you have team building to put something together that, that really clicks. Uh, some of these moves started last year and last offseason with uh, trading for Mike Conley and and signing Boyan Bogdanovich in, in free agency. Um, what we realized was – uh, going back to last season is we we changed over the team probably by almost 50% of the players. And one of the things that have been kind of our hallmarks and, and coach continuing to develop players and get them used to the system is continuity. And I think we spent um, the beginning of last season, 1920, really just trying to get to know each other. And then you throw in travel, you throw in uh, injuries, you throw in just getting acclimated with new roles um, we had really started to kind of hit a stride about 10 games before uh, the shutdown of the league. And, you know, maybe if we had gone through the entire year last year without that uh, disruption, 
you know, we might have seen that continuity late, but we didn't. Um, one of the benefits I do think is after the shutdown and we were off for three months, our, our guys continue to stay connected. And then you go down when we went down to the bubble, even with, if we didn't have Boyan, we had another training camp. So it was Jordan Clarkson's first training camp because we had added him during the season. You know, Mike Conley had had a training camp. He had two years on his deal. And now this is really a second training camp in the bubble before he started, you know, started the, the second year of his contract. So I really thought that that was an, a chance for us to really reconnect and have some continuity. And certainly there were some things that we did not having boy on there um, as far as designing offense and defense that were some carryovers as we went into this season, certainly adding Derek back, um, you know, who's a starting caliber center in the league and knows us. Uh, we really found continuity in really less than a year. And I think that's paid dividends along with our health performance staff, who's done a great job keeping these guys healthy for the most part. And then all of the navigation, the testing and, you know, coach has just done an unbelievable job. And the players have been receptive. They've the experiences we had in the bubble, uh, the disappointment. Um, I think it really stayed with the guys and they're playing for something. They also know that, you know, there's a confidence that they they play for each other and play together and belief in the coaching staff and health performance staff. And, you know, they're trying to accomplish that on, on a daily basis. You know, it's not going to ha- we're not going to win every game. Um, but this stretch has really taught these guys some lessons of how we need to play, how we need to play every night. Every single team is talented. It's the NBA. And uh, I'm just really happy that they've been taking on each challenge every night and trying to figure out different ways of how to how to get the W. Justin, you mentioned Quinn Snyder, your coach, and you know you and Quinn and Dennis Lindsay, your president, have been together for a very long time. As you work with Quinn on how you want to build your roster, the style of play you want to play, you go back to when you moved up to the GM role and Dennis moved up to president, you did the Mike Conley trade, you did the Jordan Clarkson trade uh, well before the deadline in 1920. Uh, you got ahead of it with Cleveland. And then, of course, and then also in free agency there, getting Bogdanovich from Indiana. As you guys were building a roster in a way that you want to play there, how does Quinn fit into those conversations and the design of this team to what you have now, which is a team, like we said, that's shooting more threes and anybody else making more threes again and and but also winning games when you're not making them and certainly the defense has been there every night just the process of doing this with a coach because in so many other places the coach comes and goes the front office is changing you guys have had an ability to really set a course over a very long time so this is my eighth season in the nba um my first one was when i joined dennis here in utah uh to start a rebuild and, uh, you know, one other than Dennis being an unbelievable mentor and teacher and leader for us, uh, things I got to participate in, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is helping hire Coach Snyder. Um, I don't know if it's unique about as far as an NBA coach. I just know that it's unique about him and very special. Um, he's done. He's a great teacher of the game. Uh you know, all of the th- his preparation, you've seen the comments from our players, you've seen the comments from Dennis and myself over the years. But Coach does a great job of trying to maximize what 
our personnel allows us to do. And so at the beginning of the rebuild, we had a bunch of talented bigs, you know, most notably Rudy Gobert. And uh, he also Derek Favors and we had Ennis Canner. We had some young guys that we had to figure out and try to see what we could do. And even though it was a little more traditional back then, but still on its way out of playing big, coach designed a system that allowed us to have our, our talent on the court, even if it wasn't maybe the most space place. And, you know, over those, as we built the team, our defense became a hallmark um, up until last season. You know, we were one, two and two in defense as we became a playoff competitive team. And then as we started to add personnel, you know, coaches right there with us in terms of evaluating it and we're letting him know what our options are and what he thinks. And then as long as we're acquiring players, whether through draft, free agency or trade that, you know, exhibit the hallmarks of how we want to play. And that doesn't, when I say how we want to play, doesn't necessarily mean a system or a particular system. It means the characteristics of the player, obvious unselfishness, um, competitive hunger, high character, um, we've developed programs here where guys have come here and, and if they are the right, have the right work ethic and character, they have a chance to get better no matter what age they are. So taking that part in, in all aspects, cues involved, and then based on what our personnel and what, you know, what are our opportunities to acquire different guys? And then the evolution of that team and the system. And as we learn and as guys improve most notably Donovan and Rudy, then building a system around them that truly maximizes the abilities of the team. And, you know, I think coach is one of the best in the league at that. And, you know, we've changed our style of play um, because we have you know a lot more shooting and space on the court. And he's been able to unleash that. And the guys have shown up in shape and ready to embrace that. Um, I think that a lot of that started uh, in the bubble when we did have Mike Boyan fit in seamlessly at the beginning of the year. And even though he wasn't in the bubble, you know, when he came back from his wrist surgery uh, for camp, you know, it took him a little bit. And I think that was more, you know, physical rather than the system. And but everyone's kind of been in this and played together and had reps and then we've been able to test it. And so having the space, but also the defense has been a huge thing for us. But I think the, the biggest thing, Woj, and I'll leave it at this, is just these guys were disappointed last year, with the way we finished and. They wanted to come back and they knew that they could compete with the best teams in the league and they wanted to show it. And uh, it's sort of a collective mindset with all of us. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. You know, your team has become the one, the way we used to see Spurs highlights and the way Spurs highlights became consumed or went viral was the ball whipping around the 24 second clock and all of a sudden, good shot, better shot, great shot, 
to a you know wide open dunk or, or a three pointer. And those are the images that we see with this Jazz team. And you think of the Spurs' influence there. Dennis Lindsay obviously worked in San Antonio before Utah. Quinn, when he got into professional basketball, was at the G League level. Was it even the D League back then? I guess it was the D League back then. And started in Austin with the Spurs. And and I think they're a model. Uh, Market size, I think, listen, anybody would love to model themselves after those teams. But you, you really see it in the way you play. And it's one thing to, like you say, you put the pieces together, but something has to happen when the ball, when a group becomes as unselfish as yours is, playing for each other, and you just you just see it. And, and to me, it reminds me, and I wonder when you talk with Quinn or you talk with Dennis, th- does that ever come up about this is what we're what we've been trying to do in some ways, but also, hey, we're starting to see that with our group and just the way the thing looks on the floor. I think, it, you know, there's two ways you can look at it, Woj. Certainly the Spurs organization and what they built and what more importantly been able to sustain from a front office coaching and player standpoint is unmatched in the league. Certainly any team would, would love to have a run like that. Um, I think for for us, you know, certain principles have, have carried over when Dennis joined, uh, joined the Jazz of character traits and along with Quinn, again, of how we want to play. And whether that is specific play calls or spacing or things, you still have to have the types of people and players to be able to execute really connected basketball. Um, You'll see like pieces of stuff from different teams, but really um, Quinn said it in the media a lot that, you know, these are our shots. These are our plays. And those are representative of what, you know, the players and coach have built together with their connectedness and wanting to play for each other. You know, there's not a substitute for this player reminds you of this player from a previous era, a previous team. This is our team and trying to maximize, you know, our talents and coach putting them in the best positions to succeed. So then they become owners. They have ownership of who we want to be and how we want to play. And they live it. They try to live it every night. So the ball whipping around is a great thing to see. Um, For me, I look at it as the collective mindset of the coaches and players trying to figure out how to get a win and not every win and not every highlight this year has been the ball whipping around that we've figured out different ways to learn about ourselves and to win different ways. So it's not just a bunch of threes. It's not just a defense. It's not just Rudy on the roll. It's, Hey, let's, let's prepare. Let's be in our best condition and and recover as much as possible from the last game. Let's go out and execute a game plan. And throughout these whatever first 29 games, you've seen elements of all of those things and just continuing to learn those lessons of, figuring out teams, how we want to play, matchups. Um, that's part of the journey that I've been really enjoyed so far, guys figuring it out. Justin, you mentioned eight years ago, starting with Dennis Lindsay and hiring, uh, eventually hired Quinn as your coach, and you started out on a rebuild. And teams in the league, and in, not just in the NBA, but in other sports, that they, you know, organizations love to study how other organizations did it and what what are traits we can emulate. 
when you look back at starting out on that rebuild and all the elements that go into it, and if you get asked by peers in the league or somebody comes in and says, hey, what when you think back to this whole process, what are the one or two or three things that when you look back said that was really important? Like whether it was that's what we stuck to or that was something we believed in. When you look back at why you've been able to make this progression and you did it in, a, in the middle of it, you lose Gordon Hayward in free agency uh, to Boston, which, you know, I think a lot of us thought you probably thought, well, I mean, I, I, that's a setback. And I don't know how long of a setback that is, but that is something that it's probably going to take some time to recover from. And yet the arc of that team continued. Donovan came and uh, you, you started to realize what you had in Donovan Mitchell. But but just a couple, three things that, boy, these were the principles we stuck to. And I can really point to those things as just pillars of this process. So, well, you and I have known each other a long time. My first year in the league when Dennis asked me to join him in Utah to, to start rebuilding the team, I was a complete rookie. I was an agent for 15 years. Um, had contacts in the league, but as far as putting a team together, like I'm as green as the next guy. So really it's a huge credit to Dennis. Um, and that there's certainly a few things that um, I've been able to learn from him and he's continued, you know, obviously his imprints are all over this team uh, along with Quinn's and it starts with very great ownership. That's why Dennis decided to come to Utah in the first place uh, to give us the ability to, to try to rebuild the team when to give us a chance to build to a title. First things first, rebuilding is really hard. Um, you can have, you can be about the right things. You still have to, you know, have some luck, have some injury. And even there's certain setbacks, there's teams that start rebuilds and they don't get out of them. Um, maybe through no fault of their own, but just some circumstances. But things I look back to is one of the first things that I learned from Dennis was, you know, his first few months, he was here a year before I got here uh, in Utah. And it was, this team is going to be about defense, discipline, and development. Those are three, you know, basic things that if we could build a foundation with that, then there's process in terms of drafting high character players with talent um, that are committed to getting better. That's the development people high character where they're disciplined in, in how they go about their work and how they represent the community. Um, and then defense is something that, you know, this is a San Antonio thing as well. Um, and historically in the NBA really, but defense travels. If it's a very good defense, you can go win on the road if you have a very good defense and that's discipline. So those were the foundations. And then it was a matter of, you know, the three ways of acquiring players. And when you start a rebuild, you know, free agency probably really isn't at a high level, really apparent. It's really drafting and then hopefully getting a few of those picks right and developing those players as foundational pieces. And then through trades, free agency and additional drafting, putting players around them all while coaches maximizing, you know, their talents. So uh, the ability for Dennis to identify those players at the beginning to be able to retain most of them um, and have continuity in the culture that was built here uh, with Dennis and Q, I think are huge things for that really spawn continuity. And as long as 
we still have to continue to get pick the right players and continue to have good health and uh, high character guys here that represent the community. And uh, they really embody what we want to be about, not only now, but, it, you know, going forward. And uh, it's been a great journey for me as well to be able to learn and uh, help, you know, assist Dennis and Q with all of this. Um, but it's been fun. It was hard, though. And, I, you know, there's times that you never know if you're going to be able to get out of it or not. Um, certainly, you know, with departures in free agency and rookies taking on prominent roles, that that was certainly a, a, a way for us to continue forward and uh, be where we are now. I, I always thought, Justin, that, you know, there was kind of like a quick turnaround from, you know, the end of you know free agency and at that moment when Hayward departs and all of a sudden you're playing in summer league and there's this kid from Louisville who you traded up to get on draft night, who you thought had a chance to be very good. And it almost felt like it left, he brought such an enthusiasm and a light to your organization and the fan base immediately that it it almost felt like it immediately reignited the place instead of sort of like that, you know, slump shoulders, you know, we lost, you know, an all-star player and that that was really pivotal for the jazz organization. I have a little bit of an interesting perspective with it, Woj, because that year I was with Milwaukee in 16, 17. And so when that season ended, um, I left Milwaukee and was on my way was going to come back to Utah. But in between there, I was being, you know, connected on some level, but really looking at what that departure meant and how the, the organization was re going to react. And I wanted to come back and be a part of it, even if it got hard or we expected it maybe to be hard. Um, no one can say that, you know, we knew how, how quickly Donovan was going to progress. And to that level, he, he grabbed the role and the void in the team and uh, putting the other pieces around that we'd still have a very, very good defense that year. Donovan really grew into the role. Rudy took another step. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden it's it's another playoff team with, you know, a very important piece before departing the team. So um, when when we got together for training camp that year, you know, we could see the talent, we could see some commitment, but obviously we wanted to see it was going to be a different team. We were going to have to play a little differently. We we're going to have to integrate. We had a younger team as far as primary pieces. So Quinn did an unbelievable job for um, that team to kind of figure it out. And it took a while. Uh, those, those first three months in 17, 18 were, uh, were a little tough. We're tough. We, we were, I believe, 10 or 12 games under 500 or pretty close to that in December. Um, of that season and then went on a big run and then uh, made the playoffs and, and, and advanced. And I think that was huge for Donovan and Rudy to understand what, you know, the level of impact that they could have from the team and Donovan's taken off from there and Rudy's continued to take steps at, a, at all NBA level. Justin, the arrival of Ryan Smith as your new owner, someone who you all knew very well, it's pretty rare. I think sometimes, when someone is that closely associated with an organization is around a lot. He was a fan and he was a partner in your five for the fight uh, sponsorship program. And, and obviously one of the most prominent 
citizens in Salt Lake and he buys the team and moves in as owner at a time when you're negotiating extensions for Donovan Mitchell, for Rudy Gobert. What's it been like to have him come in and, and, and kind of what he's brought now to, you know, your present, but also sort of looking ahead at, you know, where you can impact some change and drive some maybe new, just some new ideas and, and new ways to do things uh, with the organization. Yeah, Brian's been great. His energy, um, his perspective as a, both an entrepreneur and a businessman and his ties to the state of Utah. Um, he's homegrown and uh, is very passionate about the prospects of the state and the team. It feels really good that he we already had a relationship with him. He knew you know, without being truly inside, he really got to see how the sausage was made over the first two or three months. He gets kind of dropped right in uh, at a crucial time in our our team building with uh, extensions for Donovan and Rudy, along with, you know, the draft and free agency. So uh, he was able to be a part of that and impact that and give us his perspective and really give us his support and wanting to continue um the things that have already been built here and really be a steward for the community, the, the state and the team. Um, he's he's going to add great perspective and, and a lot of different energy towards, you know, how our team looks, how we represent the state, how we represent the NBA um, on a multitude of platforms, whether that's just basketball or business or social issues. Uh, he is involved on a day-to-day basis and we couldn't be happier to have him. Last thing, Justin, you know, your first as GM, the Mike Conley trade, bringing him in from Memphis, you know, it was a difficult first season with you guys, a combination of injuries and sort of trying to figure it out. And you've seen him this year. He's been out lately. But what you imagined the role Mike would play versus what it's been has been what? I think the way Mike's playing has always been in him. I think that there's just a multitude of things that, you know, life and health get in the way. Uh, you know, you had an unbelievable leader and uh, person in Mike Conley uh, lead that Memphis team to great success for 12 years. And to come to Utah, which he was excited about, you know, it's completely new. You're, you're used to getting up in the same time, the same drive every day, the, the same teammates, the same coaches, um, a routine of, of which he'd had a, a, an extreme high level of success at. And he comes here and, and wants the same thing, and we did too. And But it's completely different. You know, it's different playing with Rudy, different playing with Donovan. And that took a little while. And then just as he's, you know, kind of getting his feet wet, you know, injuries happen. And you come back and you're integrating yourself in the team and, when to be aggressive and when to facilitate. And, you know, it, it took him a little while to figure out. Like I said, I really thought he and the team had figured each other out those last weeks in February uh, prior to the shutdown. And then, you know, he was able to take his training regimen and that three months off and then come back to the bubble. And really you, you saw what Mike Conley is for this team then. And then, you know, how we finished and then be able to come back here and just, like he, he never lost a step, never uh, missed a beat, 
um, was completely integrated with the team. And like I said before, I, I do think that training camp and, and the bubble with all of our guys getting back together was an accelerant to figuring out our team and what we look like this year. It, the question used to be in Utah, can you get a second all-star? Can, can we get a second all-star? Now the question is, can you get a third one with the best record in the league, the team success? That's usually the argument, right? If it's when there's this kind of team success, typically, uh, especially when you get to the coaches vote, is rewarded with all-star appearances. I asked Mike this a few weeks ago when we had him on the pod. He pointed to that. I think it was the 2016 Atlanta team that had four all-stars, which I guess if you want to use that as the, you know, a barometer, I, I guess the case is it could happen, but is this the year Mike gets in? Can you get, does your team success coupled with the year Mike's had, do you imagine that might get you three? I would hope so. I, you know, whether it's one, two, three, four, you always want to be able to make the argument on, on two levels. One, certainly team success and winning matters in the NBA. That's why we're all here is competing for a championship. And while, you know, nothing's been decided at, you know, in 29 games, but having the best record in the league, I think accounts for something. And then certainly the reason you have the best record in the league at this point is the contributions of players. And, you know, obviously I'm biased. I could sit here and tick off the accomplishments of any number of our guys to, to justify it. But I do think that the, the individual metrics and contribution to winning that, you know, not only Donovan and Rudy, but Mike has had an extreme influence on our success this year and you know there's there's different metrics out there that back it up as far as his, his plus minus um, is by far the highest on a per game basis in the league individual metrics in terms of contribution to winning you know he's in the top five he's in in a, a couple different ones that are all encompassing that you know include team team factors as well as individual performance you know, being in the top five and you know, 538 stuff is is pretty neat when you see, you know, the names that he's associated with, which are all MVP candidates. So, you know, I know that there's an argument sometimes between individual success in a, in a given season to be an all star and long term performance and sort of a legacy. And I think Mike checks both of those boxes, however you want to argue it. He's never been an all star, even though he's been very deserving and it's because he's been in the Western Conference for 13 years. You know, it's, it's brutal. There's a lot of great players that just haven't had a shot sometimes. But, you know, with the best record in the league and the best plus minus and certainly contributing to winning and whatever metrics you want to put, he's absolutely deserving. Well, Justin, I don't want to keep you from your outside time on the road in the NBA. I know you get to go to practice, which is really your way to get out of the hotel yeah. three days in L.A., it's not like a normal three days in L.A., right? So uh, uh, Jazz Clippers on ESPN Friday night in the uh, second game of the doubleheader. Uh, Justin, good luck. Stay safe. And uh, thanks thanks for jumping in here. Thanks, Woj. I appreciate you. Back here on the Woj Pod with Dr. Leroy Sims, the Senior VP of Medical Affairs for the NBA and one of his many medical responsibilities uh, he's been at the forefront of the league's process that they've undertaken here in the last several months and and more more intensely, I think, with the players in the last few months about educating players in the league and staff and teams about the COVID vaccines that eventually here will be available to 
uh, the general public to players. Dr. Sims, welcome in. Uh, good to visit with you here again. Thanks for having me, Woj. And I agree, it's a pleasure for me as well to be here with you. Let's start here, Dr. Sims. And I talked to you for a story that we reported on earlier in the week, centering on the reluctance of many of the league's elite players, not all of them, but many, to be involved in a PSA campaign that would be an outreach to broader communities. You know, that might ultimately go hand in hand with players getting vaccinated when the time is appropriate and the green light is there. You've been meeting with teams. Your goal is to meet with all 30 teams virtually. You're on schedule to do all 30 by early uh, next week. How much, Dr. Sims, are you dealing with players who are still apprehensive about the vaccine itself versus players at the top level who might be willing and are willing to receive the vaccine, but maybe are less willing to be spokesmen. I think there's two different things happening here. I think we have to recognize that the challenges we face is widespread. This isn't just a player situation. This is a U.S. population situation. When you look at the polling that's been done, it what's happening with the NBA reflects what's happening in the U.S., that people have hesitations, they have questions, there are issues with access to the vaccine. So this is something that we somewhat have anticipated. I think what's really important is first and foremost to arm people with information. We need to make sure that the information that they have is accurate, it's credible, And when you talked to me for the piece earlier this week, I mentioned that there are two key components to this process, the message and the messengers. And so we need to make sure players have access to trustworthy messengers. I like to include myself in that group. They have their team physicians. They have physicians from the Players Association. We want to make sure they're armed with information that's credible so that they can make an informed decision. That's first and foremost. The second is asking them to partner with us to promote this. And I think that in order to get people comfortable with promoting something, they need to understand it. So that's that's the entry point where we are right now. Let's make sure they have all the information that they need. Let's make sure all their questions are answered and then revisit that topic of promoting for those who would like to, because I know we have players who want to, and those who may not. Dr. Sims, when you approach these individual visits with each team. Walk me through how you introduce the topic and sort of the key points that you work to get through to everyone. So my introduction is who I am. And for 22 of our teams, they have seen me before all live in the bubble. And we talked ahead of the bubble over Zoom. They saw me in the bubble. So reintroducing them to who I am, um, and, and our previous relationship. And then I delve into my journey and my experience. I, I remind them that I am an emergency medicine physician in addition to practicing with the NBA and what my experience has been like, what, what I've been able to see up close and personal about this pandemic. Then I talk to them about the bubble and remind them that I participated in the same health and safety protocols that we're asking them to do. I'm practicing what I preach. And then I talked to them about my journey. 
with the vaccine, that I too was hesitant about getting the vaccine when I was emailed in November from my hospital saying that we would be eligible for vaccination in December. I'm not mandated to take the vaccine. And so letting them know that I share a similar experience, I have similar questions that they may have, hopefully opens up the, the dialogue more for them, makes it more t tangible and more palatable. And after going into that, I talked to them about how I gave a similar presentation to my own family, that I'm really invested. This isn't just business. I'm, in, I'm rooted in this medical stuff. And it's personal and it's professional for me. I conclude with seven common myths that people have about the vaccine and dispel those myths. And then we do Q&A. The kind of questions you get in the Q&A, pretty consistent among teams and players? There are some common themes. One that's very common is when can we get the vaccine? And that's one that is a reassuring question for me. Some ask questions about how do we know about the long-term effects? We have to be careful to some extent because in medicine, we're very comfortable with the phrase, we're gathering more data. And when we have that, we'll give it to you. To, to, to someone else, that might not seem very reassuring. Oh, so you don't know. No, we're actively gathering the data. So that's good. We're in the process of, we're not operating completely in the blind. But you have to understand how that sounds to people. And so I try to give them data and information. Our players and our coaches, our league, we're, we are a statistics-driven league. They understand data and graphs. And I present that to them so that they have the evidence they can dissect themselves. But when can they get vaccinated? Are these vaccines trustworthy in the long term? They want to know, is this going to impact their performance? Is it going to impact fertility? What do we know about the long-term ramifications? Is one better than the other? So really good questions. Uh, one, one in particular was, hey, if it's 80 plus percent to get herd immunity, why don't we just wait for the herd to get immunized and we don't have to? I think that's a very thought-provoking suggestion. Not a good one, the one that I agree with, but we can talk through the merits of why that's not a good strategy in particular for them. Dr. Sims, how much, and I've gotten this sense from players at different times, I think you've heard this discussion around athletes is, you, we don't know the long-term impact that having the virus may have on the body in lots of different ways. And certainly here you're talking about world-class, high-performing athletes who need to be physically at the top to be able to perform. You know, we heard Jason Tatum talk about the difficulty he's had breathing. He had the virus and and he's still fighting that. We certainly have seen and heard that in more of the general population of, of citizens who maybe they don't have to perform at that level, but the, the breathing problems, how much are you still concerned with things that may not have shown up yet for players who've had the virus and people that may be recurring or they may be issues that they're going to have to deal with over a, a longer period? It's really important for people to understand the impacts of the virus. The virus can lead to some issues. And we have seen that. We know that a large number of people who are infected are asymptomatic. They don't have symptoms, but some people do. But then when you look at it, some people do have what's called long hauler syndrome. And on some level, it can look like people who are in that post-concussive phase 
where they have fogginess in their head, they have headaches, they're dizzy, they're nauseated. Some people can have muscle aches and pains that last for weeks to months. Some people can have shortness of breath. And that's a sequelae, that's a result of the virus. What we know about the vaccine is that we're not seeing significant long-term problems associated with it. And we're tracking that. Historically speaking, vaccines that do lead to problems, in particular long-term problems or severe problems, manifest in the first month or two of the vaccination program. Vaccines in the clinical trial started going in people's arms as early as March of last year. So we have that reassurance relative to the risk that we know that comes with the virus. Dr. Sims, what's going to be the challenge for the league moving forward if you have a segment of players and staff who have taken the vaccine and some who don't, but are going to exist Right now, you have protocols of of quarantining and testing multiple times a day. And if individuals or entire teams have taken the vaccine, you know, some or all of that may be loosened. But what happens in instances where there are just individuals who are not going to, to take it and but they've got to exist in a league and in a world where many have? What's the challenges for that practically for the league? From a policy point of view, I don't write policy. I help advise on the medical aspects of things. What we know is that it's a complex situation, that there are things beyond medical that go into that decision-making process. For instance, there are laws about what happens when you have certain work conditions that are available for some but not others. You have to make accommodations. That's a, that's a legal issue that's outside of my, my scope. Um, in terms of policy, whatever policies we come up with, it's a negotiation and an agreement between the NBA and the Players Association. So there's a discussion there that happens as well. So what I can say, more generally speaking, is that I do anticipate that if we're vaccinating in the community the way we should be, that we can have fans in our building, that we can stop testing so rigorously compared to what we're doing right now, that we're less likely to have to postpone games, that travel becomes something that's more feasible, that people are able to gather and go to restaurants, holidays and birthdays. So it's it's hard to jump to the future and say, this is what it will look like. These are the specific things that we will do. There are so many things we have to take into consideration. Remember with anything, whether it's the flu shot or anything else we do, it's a collaborative effort that we spend time talking to experts, lawyers. We get we get feedback from the players, and that comes to the table when we're negotiating with the Players Association. So there will be an active discussion about what makes the most sense without compromising health and safety. That's great. Dr. Sims, uh, thank you for taking the time out. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot lot in the league this year about leading up to trade deadline and postponements and games. But this is at the crux of of obviously not just the league, but but our world. And, And thanks for what you're doing. And thanks for taking the time out today. Thanks for having me, Woj. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, Jazz General Manager Justin Zanuck. 
and Dr. Leroy Sims of the NBA. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to listen to The Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and The Right Time with Bamani Jones. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.